Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 75 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled Summary of the Book of Revelation, Part 10, Chapter 4, A Throne Room or a Courtroom. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen and amen. Good morning. Revelation Chapter 4, as we continue on uh, this morning in our teaching, on as in uh, the days of Noah, and uh, I'm actually going to, as always, I say I'm going to try to cover a lot of information. I really need to cover more information this morning. Ed, you have permission to come up and kick me in the hinder parts if I drag, uh, so that we can get some information out here. Uh, I like to start with a thought. Uh, what's happening in Revelation chapter 4? Is John it says it's, it's called up. There's an open heaven. He's called up uh, into heaven, and there is a a concept, perhaps it's in most of Christendom, that we believe we're reading about John, and he's an extra special person, and so therefore he was called up and given this revelation. I'll not say that he was extra special, but he was extra trustworthy for sure, to be for Jesus to choose to give him the revelation. But when we read John, uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, and John, his, as he gives us this book, I, don't, I would like for you not to disassociate yourself from the person of John. But John is a person, is a man, uh, like uh, you and I, man or woman, and so we want to keep that uh, that understanding in our minds, and not like he's since it was you know two twenty two thousand years ago about you make we can disassociate ourselves from the person, and uh, but I would like for you to consider not disassociating yourself from the purpose, so that we might uh, glean what the scripture is saying through. Uh, the scripture. Uh, to set us in the right frame of mind, I like to, a lot of times I'll have a little thought, and I've got a little thought to start us this morning. Smaller picture, you probably don't know who that is. If anybody wants to take a guess, it's hard to see the uh, picture. Uh, it's Alistair Begg. Has anybody ever heard of him? Yeah, incredible guy. <laughs> I love, I listen to him quite often. Uh, it's amazing his concepts of scripture. He has a gift of, of language, I guess you could say, and understanding. But he has this uh, one little short video that I will put uh, up here on the screen, not the video itself, but what he said. He said, homosexual people are. Now, what I'm looking for here is for us as Christians, as like John, how do we set ourselves up to be able to hear from the Holy Spirit of God? And I think that uh, Alistair, is that the way he pronounces anybody know? Is that... Alistair, okay. Alistair, I'll call him Alistair. Um, I'm always captivated in his, you know, how YouTube does little shorts. They'll put a lot of shorts out on him. Just incredible. If you want to write that name down, I recommend it highly. But this is one of his little quotes he had, and this is his huge meeting, and he was the speaker, and this is a little clip out of what he was saying. His homosexual people are either hated or affirmed. 
she was setting up the uh, atmosphere of the you know homosexual um, and that type thing is uh, is every day in the news whatever but it says they're either hated or affirmed their uh, options are either you hate me or you affirm me and so that's kind of like the way the homosexual views uh, his plight a Christian does neither isn't that interesting we feel like we have to have one of those views but in honesty he says a Christian does neither we do not hate nor do we affirm we cannot hate because of God's word and we cannot affirm because of God's word. So we find ourselves on the topic. Um, we would probably, uh, to me, the fear or the reality is sometimes in us not affirming, we look like haters. And can we consider that thought? And not affirming, sometimes we appear as haters, but yet the scriptures tell us we can, we are to do neither. Now he went on to say this, which I think really wraps it up well. We have to be prepared to say that we are unprepared to rewrite the Bible in order to accommodate a society that needs the Bible and that needs the Jesus that the uh, that is the focus of the Bible. So I thought his conclusion of these statements, uh, he says we're not prepared and, and we're not able to, to rewrite the scripture so that it does um, affirm, nor uh, we can't rewrite it to say that we have permission to hate, right? So we find ourselves in this uh, situation. Now, with him saying that, you have to have a spiritual perspective of the issue. We can have a linear perspective or we can have a spiritual perspective. We can have a human response or we can have a spiritual response. That's the debate here in his comment and his presentation. There's a spiritual response and there's a human response. And I hope that you can identify because as Christians, we tend to end up in one or two groups. Either we hate or we affirm, and we sometimes a religious spirit requires that we hate. Right? It's the religious spirit in us. And then the other spectrum of that same religious spirit is we affirm. There again, I make note, it's the same religious spirit to hate or to affirm. It's the same spirit. So John and what's happening here, he's warning us he is called up in the spirit. So I want us to make a, to be able to make a, uh, to be able to distinguish between being in the spirit and having a human response, which normally is more of a religious spirit. Now let's move quickly here. We see here in Revelation 4.1 again, after these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. Keeping in mind, John's in the spirit. So he's therefore looking at these things through spiritual eyes. Now consider on the onset here that we know that we have the natural world and we know a lot of things in the natural world or all of the things in the natural world are a reflection of what we call the second heaven and the third heaven. 
We have a lot of second heaven, which is darkness, things that are contrary to God happening on the earth. But also, always keep in mind in walking in the spirit that things of the natural world were first in the spiritual world before they hit the natural world. Just like I ta taught you, uh, the first chair was not on this earth, it was in heaven. And now we have a reflection or we get this idea of a chair. So the spiritual world, I would say, is more real than the natural world, but it's nonetheless. So it says, after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Now, how is he seeing that? With his natural eyes? No. With his spiritual eyes? Yes. Now, we want to consider that our spiritual eyes, if the spiritual world is more real than the natural eyes, so therefore our spiritual eyes seeing can be more real than the natural eyes. Right? And so we start seeing things through our natural eyes, making an observation and then a judgment on it. And when, at the same time, our spiritual eyes of you in a situation should be more real than the natural thing we're seeing. The spiritual eyes will see what God wants to do on behalf of the natural eyes in what you're seeing. And are you with me? Natural eyes see, spiritual eyes see what God wants to do about what you're seeing in the natural. So therefore the spiritual eyes trump the natural eyes as far as God's concerned. So as Christians and as believers, because of the cross of Christ, we have now been aligned and it's been made possible that we can see with spiritual eyes. I'm going to show it to you. As we move, as I move quickly, he says, After these things, behold, I looked, and the door was standing open in heaven. He was seeing this in the spiritual eyes. You must have a divine nature to enter. So John was, so how do we see in the spirit? We do it through, we have the nature of this world, a natural uh, response to this world. Then we, have, we, then we have a supernatural response or a spiritual response to what we're seeing. It's called a divine nature. Your divine nature is made up of your mind and your soul. You got the spirit, you got your mind and your soul, which is being transformed. Why are we being transformed? So we can see better in the spirit. Can you hear that? Transformation brings us, it's, it's, and when we're born again, we got 2080 vision. We've been trying to bring her on down all we can. <laughs> And we would come into a 2020 spiritual view of how God's seeing things. And that's where John was. He had 2020 spiritual vision. He looked up in heaven. He saw the doors open. He could see that door. And there again, don't consider that door is more real than this door. Okay, let's move quickly here. Now, being called up in his presence, John, we know, was called up, correct? I went over this. I'm not going to redo it. But Elijah had an incredible encounter with God in Kings, 1 Kings 19, where he met with God on Mount Hebron after fleeing Jezebel. So he, he encountered God. That's what we call being called up. Now, that's the reason I have said it, and I'll say it again. A lot of people want to do away with the terminology or the understanding of rapture. I'm like, you don't want to do that because it's through the book. Being called up, uh, being called up in his presence is what we're shooting for in worship. 
or in your quiet time. It's to be caught up, meaning I'm coming out of my natural mind into my spirit man in prayer or in worship. That's being called up. Uh, while there, Elijah heard a great windstorm that he realized that the Lord was not in the wind, but is in that still small voice. I'm going to move quickly on this slide. It was here that Elijah was comforted by God's presence and gained strength and courage to continue his prophetic ministry uh, with Kelly uh, Watson. I prayed this morning that God's presence would gain strength where she is. Um, when we're in a place of, uh, of sickness, disease, uh, I don't care what the situation, everybody can come around and, and pat and all of that, and it's good. We need that. But nobody can get in there with you but God. Nobody can do it. Nobody can get in your place of crisis but God. You are there alone, even though everybody's around you. You're there alone. But God's presence can be there with you. Can you hear that? So we're looking for that God's presence to do that. In Psalms, David says, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with your joy and your presence, uh, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Here we see David experience the joy of the Lord when he was in God's presence. Uh, James 4, 8, Come near to God and He'll do what? Come near to you. Now when you read that scripture, I want you to consider the terminology being called up in the presence of God. He says he'll come near, you draw to him. That's being to be in the presence of God is to leave your natural state somewhat into a spiritual state somewhat. That's, that's what's happening here. Now being caught up or an entrance or a door, I read this last week, I'm not going to do it again, but it says here in 2 Peter that there's an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly. So it says there's an entrance here into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see that? Now I'm going to build on this a little bit today to show you how this thing worked in John and how it is to work in us. It says there's an entrance here. But if you pre read the verses previous uh, to this, it's speaking about the divine nature. As this nature is in you, it says then that this entrance shall be administered to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom. And I would venture to say by other scriptures that when you do that, there's a door you walk through. Amen. And what is that door? The door is Christ. Amen. There's a, there's a door way in which we all walk into. Now, I'm jumping back and forth from the natural to the spiritual. And the reason is, is so you make the connection of the symbols and what they're saying and what they're meaning. And for you to know this is highly possible. This is achievable. Christianity is still alive today because there's some that's gone here. And believe it or not, more of you sitting in this room have gone here to a point. Some of you have went up and put one foot in, one foot out, done the hokey pokey and turned yourself around. Right? We've done different things with it. And there's some, some that's went a little further. Some went a little further. All right, you've got my concept here of the Scripture. 
Now here it says in verse 2, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was in set, in, uh, set in heaven. And one sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, and a sight likened to an emerald. So when that door was open, this is a painting or rendition, if you will, of him taking what John saw, put it in an, into a concept uh, painting, we call it here. But he says that he looked into it. Now take note, well, I have another scripture too, Daniel, that shows kind of the same view of when he, the door was opened and walked into this throne room of God, what it looked like. And the word throne here uh, and it appears 58 times in the New Testament. It's interesting to me, but here, watch this. 43 of them's in Revelation. And that's something. Uh, and then uh, 14 of them are in this chapter 4. Now, Revelation eleven nineteen says, And the temple of God was open in heaven, uh, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. You see that? So I jumped to Revelation 19 just to, to put this in there. In this throne room, it says in Revelation 11, was the ark of the testimony. So we know that's the ark of the covenant. A lot of people know well, where is the ark of the covenant today. We know the original ones in heaven. But does that mean there's still a natural one? Yes. The natural one's here somewhere, which is the reflection of the one that's in heaven. Now watch this quickly as I move. Bob Kernuk in the Ark of the Covenant. Does anybody know Bob Kernuk? Bob Kernuk, there's a few in here. Bob Kernuk is on the Discovery Channel and some of these things. And at one time I knew, well, I guess I still know Bob Kernuk, but he was at the house. I knew him. He stayed with me. He had just gotten back from uh, Axum in Ethiopia when he uh, stayed with me. He was all excited and all this sort of stuff because he believed he had found the Ark of the, of the Covenant, the one on the earth, which is kind of interesting, I think. There's Bob Kernuk there. He's got this pan. There is an island on the, uh, what river's going down to Ethiopia? Is that the Nile? No, okay. There was an island about halfway where there's a group of monks there, uh, Ethiopian monks. They're still on that island. And they've been on that island ever since they said the Ark of the Covenant came through the first time. You've heard of the Queen of Sheba. Solomon got her pregnant. She had a, She went back to Ethiopia. She had the son. The son would go back up and visit Solomon. It's in one of these visits that it's believed that Solomon had him take the Ark of the Covenant back to Axum, Ethiopia. This is where tradition picks up here. And so there is actually, uh, Ethiopia is uh, an orthodox type of Christianity. It's about all of Ethiopia. But in Axum, there is a building there, uh, right there, there's a building that they say the Ark of the Covenant's in. And they say it's been there ever since Solomon gave it to his son to bring back. And so the tradition is it's in that building. And when I talked with Bob, the reason he was so excited, he did not get in the building. Nobody can go in there. There's not but one man that can go in there, and there's this monk. Now what I was telling you is these monks... Where Bob Cornu's holding up that pan, 
It is believed that when the Ark of the Covenant was headed towards Ethiopia, it stopped for several years on this island and some of these artifacts that was in the temples on that island. They can't deny that. Uh, and there's even a place there that they've always protected. It's got the four holes cut in stone for the tent and for the ark and all this sort of stuff. It's very interesting. If you're interested in that, you can go to Bob Canuke's, uh video, and he does a... But it just so happens, uh, Bob, I was with him right after all this had happened. Now, the thing that you need to understand, of course, there's the Ark of the Covenant, just a rendition of, of human form uh, there. Bob said that he interviewed one of the monks. He was 90-some years old at the time. He had been replaced by a younger monk. They keep one monk inside that fence to look after the Ark of the Covenant. He's in there his whole life. He doesn't come out. They feed him, they water him, and all those things. And it's his job to keep the Ark of the Covenant busted and all this sort of stuff. That's his job. So this old monk, Bob Carnuke, met him, and he asked him, what does it look like? And he said, well, it's just a pretty plain uh, box laden in gold. And he said, well, what, what does it look like? He said, well, it's just a pretty, he said, it's not smooth because you got to understand that that gold was beaded with a hammer, you know, on the wood. And he said, what about the angels on top? And the monk told him, he said, it's not like you think. He said, the angels on top is the hammered gold has been hammered out in such a way it looks like angel wings. But the truth is, it's, it's hammered out like a seat. Because they said, that's the throne that Jesus will sit on. And right before the second coming, we're to be told when to take the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. I thought that was interesting. Uh, because we know that's the mercy seat, and y'all know y'all can take it from there. So I thought that was interesting. Now here's what it says: as usual, as uh, unusual as Ethiopia may sound, Cranuk has uncovered compelling evidence that the ark may well have been uh, spirited up the Nile River to an eventual resting place in the remote highlands of ancient Kush, modern Ethiopia, which is Aksum. Karnuk travels to Aksum, where today he believes the ark is kept in absolute isolation. So, true or not, who knows? It's very interesting, <laughs> I think. Now, but let me move on. So we know that the Ark of the Covenant, the original one, is in heaven. We know that it's the throne seat, not only, only that. Now, the first thing he saw was a great throne, someone sitting on it. That throne is the central theme of the book of Revelation. There are only five chapters where the throne is not found. We must never forget that the, uh, behind all human events is a governments of God. Uh, remember that in your mind. Make you a little note of that statement. Jeremiah saw a glorious throne set on high from the beginning as the place of our sanctuary. That's Jeremiah uh, there. Here John is permitted to see God on his throne. What is he like? What he sees are simply colors, colored lights, flashing like jewels, burning, flashing colors. God is light, and in him is no darkness. It's in First John. I'm going to move quickly. Moses was told, no man sees the face of God and lives. John saw a figure seated upon the throne, but he could not see his uh, features th uh, through the lights that shone throughout the throne. 
Ezekiel saw the same thing in the first chapter. We'll hit it right quickly. Right, verse 4, chapter 2. And immediately I, saw, I was in the Spirit. You see that? Make a connection with that. Immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven. One sat on the throne, and he that sat uh, was looked like a jasper sardine stone. And uh, there was a rainbow round about the throne in the sight of an emerald. The first one is a jasper, which is probably really a diamond. The second stone, uh, sardis, which was a blood red in color, that speaks of the sun. The third color was emerald. John saw a great rainbow, this is important, circling the throne, which was green. The rainbow was a promise of grace expressed in nature. Various shades of green circling the stone speaks of the Holy Spirit, administering the holiness redemption of God. Now in verse 4, and I'm going quickly because I'm headed somewhere here. Uh, it says, Round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting. Y'all see that? Clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now we see the twenty-four elders in this picture. So we see when he walks into the throne room of God that there's twenty-four elders uh, sitting there. Now this, the elders are going to come up uh, time and time again here. And I put a little thing there, 24 priests. This group is probably what Daniel and other test, Old Testament prophets saw when they looked into heaven. Now you've got to understand, we're getting a picture of what the real heaven, the throne room of God looks like. We're getting that picture. Now as believers, what we want to understand is we're getting a picture now, where we operate from, we're operating from a place of faith, right? So if the Bible says this is what's there, by faith of me believing that that's true, faith is what gets me there. Are you with me? All right, keep that in mind. Let's move on here. In the fourth chapter of Daniel, the prophet is called before King Nebuchadnezzar to interpret a dream. Y'all remember this. It's Daniel 4.17. Uh, this matter is by decree of the watchers. You see that? Decree of the watchers. An interesting term. And the demand by uh, the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomever he will and setteth up over it um, the best of men. So what we see is this gives us a panoramic view and I want you to get that. So when you go there, got too much information? Consider what I say. Now, there's a lot of, you know, we have a lot of different teachings out, uh, different concepts, I might say. Uh, one, There's one teaching out there that's been around for years. It's called Ascension, which most people put skull and crossbones over. Uh, uh, then we also, the, the latest thing here that was coming, Courts of Heaven. Anybody heard of the Courts of Heaven? Raise your hand, please, if you have heard of it. If you have not heard of it, raise your hands. Okay. So we have what's called the courts of heaven. It's just another way of viewing 
when you say the courts of heaven, they're speaking about the revelation of heaven. In some places in scriptures, that's called courts. You, David speaks about it all the time. But I'm, I'm just dropping a little information on where we're headed. There's 24 priests. Here Daniel also sees into the throne room of heaven. Daniel 7, 9 through 10, I beheld the thrones were cast down and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garments was white as snow and the hair of a head was a pure wool. His throne was likened to the fiery flame. That's also, we can see that in Revelation chapter 1. And his wheels of burning fire, fiery uh, uh, stream issued, uh, came forth before him. A thousands and a thousands ministered unto him. That's a lot. And 10,000 times, 10,000 stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were opened. Do you see that? The books were open. What books? <laughs> what, what books are open? So we're introduced that we're there. Well, there's different books. There is a book of life. True. But we know that there is, it's a plural term also. We, there, also that there's even, there's books. Just let me say it that way at this point. Now, uh, but the judgment uh, shall sit. Now you see that. Now, for the court will sit. In some, in some uh, translations, it's translated court. Where uh, King James, y'all know me, I'm just a King James guy. Uh, but I do look in other, other translations. Other, other translations where it says, but the judgment shall sit. Some translations it calls it the court will sit. Uh, with the, and of course, that's in reference in that particular one with the, uh, judging the Antichrist. They shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. That's in Daniel 7. But we see here that it's there again speaking about this judgment that's happening in this throne room. Are you with me? 24 elders. Then you got some other angels there, and we got four beasts we'll get to in a minute sitting in the front. And then all of a sudden, all this stuff's going on. And we cannot deny that. It says, Judgment was set. Judgment shall sit, it says there uh, in Daniel. Now, the books were open. I got prophetic futures and purpose here. Now, I'm going to give you a quickie here on what the prophetic is. When I speak a prophetic word over somebody, I'm trying to find out what God has put in the heart of that person. In other words, what is what is what is the reason God what's the purpose God created Ed? If I'm going to speak prophetically to Ed, I won't I'm not going to God with all of my problems. I'm going to God to find out what's in these books, which is the book of life. It's, it's our purpose. It's our destiny. So when I pray over someone prophetically, I'm wanting to speak what is God's purpose in them being created. Are you with me? Now, there's one thing to speak out or prophetically out of my heart or whatever. It's another one to be in the spirit enough that the books are open. You can read what their prophetic destiny is. Everybody with me? You okay? Have I lost you? Well, if I have, I keep doing that. That's just the truth. That's what I say. Once again, there's a reference to this council in Psalms. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is the Lord among the heavenly things? In the council of the holy ones, you see that? In the council of the holy ones, God is feared. He is more awesome uh, than all who surround uh, those who surround Him. 
So who are the 24 elders? Good question. I'm glad you asked. I believe that they are the angels who are put in charge of this present age. So this giving us this concept, we have this idea that God's sitting up there on his throne, everything's cut and dried, and they're just sitting around, I guess, playing video games or something. Nothing is happening. This, nothing can be further from the truth. Heaven, the throne room of God, is this place. He's got 24 angels. Not only that, he's got them stacked in there, a thousand upon a thousand and ten thousand. Pretty good crowd. Now, what does God do with all of them? How does he keep order? He's God. Nonetheless, he's got people in there that are making decisions. I didn't put it in there, but there's one place in Scripture where it says that they were in this situation. Trevor will probably tell them the Scripture. And it says that God said what we should do with Ahab. The, the angels were asking what we should do. That's right. And so this one guy in this council stood up and said, I'll be a lying angel. I'll be a lying prophet and speaking to the ears of the prophets, and they'll prophesy a lie. You know what God said? Good idea. Go do it. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and defend God. Take it up with God. You're God. I'm just saying there's a council going on up there. God has his purposes, and they don't work like you think. They don't work like I think. But just know there's activity happening in heaven. We cannot deny that. So we go on here and see this. Now you see the seven lamps of fire were burning on the throne. You see that? Now it just so happens you don't hear the church mentioned after this point going into chapter 4. But all of a sudden you see these seven lamps are now in heaven. So, so it, uh, yeah, that's where you come up and say the, the rapture of the church, perhaps, because now these lampstands have been moved. But that's that one's fun. All right, Revelation 4, 5. And out of the throne proceed lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning for the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Uh, there are sights and sounds associated with the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. The same thing was happening there. Now, let's look down here at the bottom. You see this? This is a got four beasts. Around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and the back. This is we're given the layout of the throne room here. Revelation 4, 6, before the throne were the sea of glass, like into crystal, and in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Ezekiel saw all similar creatures, as he calls them cherubims. Now, this is important. These living creatures are the ones who summoned the four horsemen in chapter 6. Uh, Revelation 4, 7, and the first beast was like a lion, the second beast like a calf, third beast had a face of a man, fourth beast was like a flying eagle, and the four beasts each had six wings about him and were full of eyes within and rest day and, did not rest day and night, saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, which was and which is to come. Now I'm getting over where I want to... Uh, Revelation 4, And when those beasts gave glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders, you see that? Fell down before him and sat on the throne and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they uh, were created." Now, how do we enter this? 
Here, that's the setting. It was called the throne room. Some translations will call it the courts. Uh, if you get into this teaching today, it calls the courts of heaven. It's talking about the courts. That's the biblical foundation of it. Uh, now in Hebrews 11, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You see that? For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were made of things which do appear. So you got 24 elders. He's speaking about the elders here. It says they were there when the world was created. They got a good report and they're operating by faith. So we see the act of creation is through the uh, operation of faith. And then this same call is issued to us. Now think about this. John 14, 2 says this, and I want you to make the reference. In my father's house, or throne room, some translations, are many mansions or dwelling places, some translation. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Y'all see that? This is a spiritual realm. So Jesus says, I'm going away. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Where we're thinking, we're always applying to that, this to the time that we die. Okay? Well, it's true when you die, we're going to be with him. But it's also true that he's already went away and prepared a place for us to be with him. This is in a spiritual sense, not in the natural sense. But we believe the spiritual sense is greater than the natural. So he says here, he's gone away to prepare a place for you. And he says, and I will come again. You see that? Make a mark, make a mental note. He says, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am what? There you may be also. And whether I go, you know, and the way you know, Jesus is given us access. So here we see he's going to prepare a place. He says, where I'm at, you can be there too. We want to say this is when we die and go to heaven. I'm suggesting it's before that and that. Okay, here we go. Ephesians 2, 9. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Have you ever wondered what Paul meant about being called up into heavenly places? He's talking about that place that Jesus has gone to prepare. He says, you can be with me there also. That's talking about in the spirit. Let me move on. This gives us the idea that we step into his presence, into where he is by faith. Not by your mind, but by faith you got to believe these things that I have taught you is true. Because the word of God says it. I know it's a stretch, but I'm trying to stretch your faith. Because it's only by faith that you... Wait, how do you do it? You believe it's true. And when you believe it's true, then by faith you can step in it. But you've got to believe it's true first. You don't try to step in it and see it and say, okay, now I believe. It's not the way it works. You've got to believe God's Word. And when you believe God's Word, then you use this exercise, the exercise in the faith to step into it. That's what he's saying. That's what Paul's referring to. Now let's move quickly here. This is that. 
you know the scripture, Acts 2, remember, 16 through 18? But this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. That's me. And all my servants and all my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days my spirit and they shall prophesy. Y'all all know that scripture. These people will be a prophetic people, it says. This verse. It says that sons and daughters shall prophesy, they shall prophesy. So we see if we're in this crowd, which we are, the Spirit of God is pouring on us to prophesy. What are we prophesying? What people's destinies are in the books. What God's will is. We don't petition God with a shopping list. We petition God with a revelation of what the purpose is. Are you with me? Stay with me. We now have access into the heavens like never before. That is why Paul said, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We can enter in because of the blood of Jesus Christ. No longer a special person, but all that are in Christ. We don't need a special priest to enter in. Remember the scripture, veils are in. We can now all enter in in the spirit. John 14, 2. Now watch it. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Whether I go, you know, I'll be there. So I'm suggesting I will come again happened in Acts 2. I hope you got that. If you didn't, I'm going to say it again. He says, I'm going to go prepare a place and where I am. Then he has an outpouring of the Spirit in Acts 2, which came after this. Now we got Paul telling us we're in the heavenlies. He has come again in the form of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? So we see, I will come again and receive you unto myself, is the act of, shall come to pass in the last day, I will pour out my Spirit. So as he's poured out his Spirit upon us in these last days he has prepared this place in the heavenlies that we can now go into it's called being in the spirit how do I get in the spirit by faith faith in what faith in what you're reading is true it's already there now that that where I am there you may be also that's being in the spirit walking in the spirit now, this is the idea he's given us, too. I think maybe I've got it here. This is spiritual dimension. Okay. We like to think, and I'm not saying it's not possible, that God comes, right? Acts 2, according to it, the Spirit's already been poured out. So he's already come, so to speak. So what Paul in the Scripture is speaking about is that it's more about we step into than it is him stepping into where we are. We step in, we're stepping into his presence. It's a spiritual dimension. I understand that. But it's more real than this dimension. That's a hard one to get past. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. But what happens with that, let me see if I got it here. It's a spiritual dimension. The Bible tells us it's real. So I enter this real spiritual place by faith. 
Hebrews 11, 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that are not seen, for by it the elders attain a good report. You see, there's no way you can see it in the natural eyes, or it's not faith. But we've been given permission to operate in this gift called faith. You thought that faith was just that you're smart enough to be persuaded. That's not faith. Faith is the ability to walk as though it is, even though you can't see it. That's a gift from God. That's what that is. If you want to see, you're just operating out of your brain. Now, now faith is a, is, a, is a neat thing. We operate in the spiritual realm just like we do in the natural realm with our five senses, but in spiritual dimension. We got taste, touch, smell, all of that. You got the same thing in the spiritual realm. It's happened there first before it came here. All right? So we operate in those same dimensions. Faith is a seed, and it sprouts, and then it grows. So when we start operating in that faith and plant that seed of faith, that this scripture's true, guess what happens? It starts growing. You ever sit beside somebody that's got a whole, so much faith more than you, you say, well, they're just crazy. Anybody ever done that? I've sat beside a lot of them. I've yet to have anybody call me that for that reason. But I'm working at it. I'm heading that direction. And the reason is faith is something that has to be planted. It has to be put in the ground. It has to die. It has to sprout and it grow. So the more that you exercise this faith of going into the presence of Christ that he has prepared for us all, I'm just saying as Christians and as believers... We're spending more time in the world than we are in the presence of Christ. I'm suggesting that. You test yourself. I can give that as myself. But it is now possible for me to spend time in this place that Jesus went to prepare. And he's already poured out his spirit. So now the prophesying, all of this stuff that happens with the outpouring of the spirit is because we are in that place that he prepared. Is anybody with me? Am I getting crazy enough yet? It's a matter of faith, of exercising faith. Now listen, people. We profess to be Christians. The only place we're going to end up with egg in our face, with the world, is we don't have the true faith that this book's talking about. If we got the faith this book's talking about, they might say we're crazy but they're going to wonder. They're going to wonder but what we're saying and believing in, but what is not true. But yet for us to profess to be Christians, but yet we don't walk and live by faith, is going to make us look like what the world thinks we are because we will be. Amen. Now, test everything I've taught you here this morning. I wanted to get to here. Uh, so I can pick up here next week if any of you are left. If you're not here, I'm just going to say you're in the Spirit somewhere. <laughs> so you just will be here, okay? All right, Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for today. Lord, I know I've put it out there a lot and quickly, but I, I've done it out of what I felt like uh, being obedient 
to the compelling of your spirit. I pray that everyone in this room will test what I've said. They'll only receive it because your Holy Spirit quickens it to their hearts. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to teach your word, preach your word. But I can do it in all freedom because I know your people will test it. They'll be as the Bereans in the scriptures. They will test and go to the scripture to see if these things that are said are true. So bless us, O God. Let us be a people of faith, a people that can walk in your presence in the throne room of God. Let us be a part of this people that has sustained Christianity on this planet in our watch. Let us be those that preserve your word and your truth. Let us be found faithful on our watch of your word and your ways. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.